Hey friends, it is so great to be with you today. If you're watching for the first time, my name is Jason Wooliver. I'm the directing pastor here at Crossroads. We pray that you won't just watch, but that you'll really feel a part of our time looking at God's word together today, and that you will feel the Spirit's presence. This is week three in our fall message series, Practical, where we are going section by section through the book of James in the New Testament. And so now we are in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Hear this reading from God's word. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, I thank you, Lord, for being with us today as we look at your word and we gather together. I pray that you would open all of our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Leadership guru John Maxwell has said, the biggest gap in the world is the gap between knowing and doing. He's saying there's a big difference between knowing what you should do and actually doing it. And I believe this is true because of examples I've seen in my own life. When I was 17 years old, I was a heavy metal guitarist, and there was an expectation from my parents that I would attend college. So I decided to be a guitar major at college. And so I went to Northern Illinois University and got a degree in classical guitar performance from there. Now, before I went to college, I didn't play classical guitar at all. But there I learned from a world-class guitar teacher. I learned about reading music on a page. I learned the basic skills that you need to play classical guitar. I learned how to practice wisely and develop new skills. I learned many classical guitar pieces, and I even gave a classical guitar recital and invited friends and family to it as one of the things I had to do to complete my degree. And then I graduated. I knew everything that I would need to know in order to embark on a career as a professional classical guitarist. All I needed to do was start getting gigs and getting hired to play. How many times did I do that? Not one time. I can count on one hand the number of times I played classical guitar in public since I graduated from college with a classical guitar degree. There's a big gap. I knew everything that I would ever need to know to have a professional guitar career, and I didn't do any of it. And I don't see that I'll ever close that gap. Why? Because after getting the degree, I was still a heavy metal guitarist at heart, and that's what I liked. 
A more recent example, for a while I was watching those baking shows on television with my daughters. Maybe you like to watch those shows. You see these chefs and these bakers follow all these steps and create these beautiful, delicious desserts. So I would get sucked into watching those. My daughters would watch these people do these steps, make the desserts, and then they would follow the steps and recreate the desserts. Not me. I would watch the show and then do nothing. That is, of course, until my daughters had actually created the desserts, and then I would jump in at step 11 and eat the dessert. But there's a gap between knowing how to do something and actually doing it. In our text today, James is addressing this gap. He's concerned that these Christians that he is writing to would fall into the habit of self-deception, thinking that they were living an authentic Christian life when in fact they were only hearing about what you would need to do to live an authentic Christian life and then not doing it. And we can do this too. We can come to church or watch church online and hear messages from the scriptures about what God asks of us. We can read the Bible at home or study it in groups. As a pastor, I can spend hours a week researching and studying the scriptures and then spend hours a week talking about what I learned. But the goal is not just to hear and learn what God asks of human beings, but to hear it and then do it. And if we want to be authentic followers of Christ, we must continually hear but then also do. And in this passage, we see four areas where James says we Christians must close the gap between knowing and doing if we want to follow Jesus faithfully and authentically in our world. The first thing he says this, we must close the gap and actually master self-control. Master self-control. Look at what he says in verses 19 and 20. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James seems to be making very clear what God's expectation is for the entire Christian community. He says, Know this. That's firmness. He says, Listen up. What I'm saying is essential. It's non-negotiable. That's firmness, but then he also includes gentleness. He doesn't just say, my brothers and sisters, of course, is included in the word. He says, my beloved brothers. (laughs) He says, listen up, guys. I'm going to tell you something that is a clear expectation. He says, every person, every person who calls himself a Christian must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Christians should be known in the world for masters of self-control. Would you say in general that Christians are known for this, for not overreacting? Would you say that Christians online and in public forums and in personal relationships are known for being thoughtful, not talking too much, and not losing their cool? As James is writing this earliest letter in the New Testament, which he intended to be circulated throughout all the Christian churches. He says this, people who follow Christ must master self-control, specifically controlling their mouths 
and controlling their emotions and their tempers. He circles back around to this in verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Wow, that's strong. And this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, would you ever say about someone, boy, she is a true faithful Christian. She's just also a terrible gossip. No, you wouldn't say that. Because if someone was a terrible gossip that spread false things and talked down about others, you wouldn't say they were such a faithful Christian. Now, the person might think that they were such a great Christian, but James would say they are deceiving themselves. Or would you ever say about someone, boy, that's a great example of a good Christian man. He just has a problem with his temper. He just loses his cool too much. No, you would never say that. Because if someone had a hot temper and lost their cool all the time, you wouldn't say they were a great example of a Christian man. The man might think he is a great example of a religious person, a dedicated Christian, but he would be deceiving himself. James would say his religion is worthless. James would say this self-control, which was modeled and taught by Jesus, should be grabbed hold of by every Christian. We Christians are called not just to use the mental faculties that all human beings have to exercise self-control, but to also use the power of the Holy Spirit, which God gave us, to learn these characteristics. Not that we're ever going to probably feel like we get it right 100% of the time, but that we're always working to improve and accepting responsibility for managing our own words and emotions. Um, Holocaust survivor and psychologist Viktor Frankl said this famous statement, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. In between the stimulus and the response is a space. We Christians lay hold of that space. We're quick to hear, but we're slow to speak and we're slow to anger. We must close the gap on this to authentically follow Jesus and represent him well. Number two, James says to be authentic Christ followers, we must accept continual correction from God's word. He says in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, that one will be blessed in his doing. Again, he's painting the picture of Christians who would gather to hear the word of God preached or taught by the apostles. They would gather to hear the instructions of God found in the laws of God. And they would feel so good about hearing and learning, but they would go away and immediately forget it. 
We can probably all relate to this. And here he is addressing something that his big brother Jesus also addressed. And so much of what James says, he actually is clearly taking from the direct teachings of Jesus. But when Jesus gave the most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, representing the highest ethical teaching ever communicated to human beings by another person, he says these words at the end. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the follow, the fall of it. You know, we who hear the word of God have no advantage over those who don't hear it if we don't do it. James compares those who hear the word and don't do it to a man who rushes in to check his face in the mirror before heading out to work or to church. He goes in to sees himself in the mirror. He sees that he still has crust in his eyes from sleeping the night before. And he has food in his beard from breakfast. But then rather than fixing it, getting the crud out and the food out, he just walks away and goes throughout his day with crud and food on his face. And no one else is unaware of this except him. He forgets about it and other people see it. Kind of a disgusting thought. But James says that we should rather come to the scriptures as a person looking in the mirror to see what's out of place. And we come to church or we read the word, we see where our behaviors and attitudes are out of alignment with God's expectations. And then what we do is we keep peering into the scriptures. We stick with it until God's attitudes and behaviors and expectations have sunk into ours. And we make adjustments to our behaviors and attitudes based on God's word. And we keep realigning ourselves. If we're not teachable, we're not going to grow as Christians. We understand we're sinners. We need God's help and that God's word is the gift he has given to keep bringing us back into alignment with what he wants for us, which is the best for us. The apostle Paul would write this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for what? To teach us what is true. Apart from God's word, we don't know what is true. The world is not going to teach us what is true. God's word will teach us what is true. He says to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Apart from the scriptures, we don't know what's wrong in our lives. Scriptures are a gift from God to make us realize where we're off. And he said it corrects us when we're wrong. We as Christians striving to follow Jesus, we want this correction. And it teaches us not just to know what is right, but to do what is right. He says God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. To authentically follow Christ, we must continually accept the correction of God's word, humbly and gratefully. Number three, James says to be authentic followers of Christ, we must help the helpless. Help the helpless. Verse 27 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit 
orphans and widows in their affliction. We see God's concern for orphans and widows expressed all throughout the Old Testament. Then when we get to the New Testament times and the church is born on Pentecost and thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus, we see that the first ministry that the apostles started, other than preaching and sharing communion, was the ministry of sharing food with all the widows who had converted to Christ. We see this in Acts chapter 6. It was a huge ministry. The apostles oversaw it. It was critical. And so orphans and widows in biblical times were those who likely had no one looking out for them. Ancient Israel was a patriarchal society. A man's possessions belonged to him, and they were passed on to the next male relative. If he had sons, then the sons would get the possessions. The oldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance so that he would have enough to provide for his mother. Well, if the man didn't have a son, then the possessions of the man would pass to the next male relative who might not be in the nuclear family, who might not take care of his widow, wherein she would be forced to scrounge for money, scrounge for food, and maybe be resorting to begging. Orphans were those whose parents had died. This was long before there were any governmental programs to help those who didn't have parents, so they were on their own. So God commanded his people to see and help the orphans and widows among them. But this wasn't just a church program. This was the duty of each individual Christian. Paul would write this in 1 Timothy 5, 4. He says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Helping those in need is a non-negotiable for authentic followers of Christ. It's a mark of an authentic Christian. If anyone claims to be Christian and is indifferent to those around them that don't have what they need, that person is deceiving themselves. And here at Crossroads, one of the three arms of our mission statement is to help those in need. We want to glorify Jesus by helping those in need whenever, however, wherever we can. And each week in our weekly newsletter, we get an update from the Mission 316 team about ways that you are, through your giving and your service, helping those in need. It's very important to us. But again, this is not just something that you should hope your church does. Caring for the disadvantaged babies, teens, mothers, adults, elderly in our community is the expression of religion that God expects of each of us. We must close the gap. The world says, I'm what's important, looking out for number one. It's, I'm storing up for myself many good things, and those who don't have what they need, that's their problem. Each person's responsible. That's the world. Christians care for those who can't care for themselves, and they share what they have with those in need, and they help those in need. Now, finally, James says that in order to be authentically Christians, we must practice healthy separation from the world. Healthy, realistic separation. And he says it this way. Again, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So I have been a coffee drinker since I was 
15 years old. For the past 30 years, the first thing I do each day is mosey to the coffee maker, which was set to make my coffee before I even wake up, and I get myself a cup of coffee to start the day. Years ago, when I was a kid, the commercials stuck in my head. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. The image of the woman waking up, taking a deep inhale and smelling the coffee which is waiting for her, which is steaming in the kitchen, it stuck with me. That's good marketing, folks. To this day, I don't need expensive coffee at home. The cheaper, the better. Give me that Folgers in my cup. I will tell you this, though. I'm also a notorious coffee spiller. I spill coffee in some degree almost every day. And so every day my goal when I get coffee is to not spill it. To not spill it on my shirt or my undershirt. Many times I've had to change my shirt before I leave the house. Or to spill it on my pants or my shoes or my car seat or my bedspread or in the carpet in the office or in the counter where I'm pouring the coffee or on my Bible. And yes, most of my Bibles have at least some brown coffee stains on them. It's just who I am. Christians, we have to be in the world and interact with the world. The world is the mission field of God. We are trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ of everyone in the world. But as we are in the world, trying to change the world, James says we have to keep ourselves from being stained by the world. That means we hold fast to the countercultural values and teachings of Christianity found in God's word, even when they clash with the values and teachings of the world. So yes, just because everyone else in the world is not practicing self-control, is just blowing off whatever they feel and being rash and impulsive, we Christians don't let that sink in. We hold ourselves to a higher standard. We are learning to master self-control. Even if everyone else in the world is saying it's all about me, we are not indifferent to those who can't help themselves because we are Christians. We aren't stained by their indifference. We spread hope and love. Even if everyone else in the world would be pretending to be one person, but in reality they are someone else, we strive for authenticity in our private and our public lives, authentically following the teachings of Jesus without hypocrisy. So friends, let me give two closing thoughts about closing the gap. Number one is this. We have an example to follow. Everything that we read in the New Testament, in the teachings of James, these are things that were embodied in our Savior, Jesus Christ. The historical human being, Jesus of Nazareth, who happened to be the incarnate Son of God. He showed us how to do this. He didn't just say, turn the other cheek. When he was being abused, he didn't call down power from heaven to stop his abusers. He turned the other cheek. When Jesus tells us, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, he himself has already demonstrated that. As he was pinned to the cross dying, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Jesus was not indifferent to the suffering around him. He provided food for those in need with the power that he had to do so. He cared for the orphans and the children and the widows among him. 
He fully embodied a life submitted to the word of God, never compromising the standards of God's word, even as he loved those who didn't embody those things. We must be immersed in the teachings of the life of Jesus. We must look to him. He is the one whose name we carry. Christian means little Christ. We are striving to become like him, the man portrayed in the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Immerse yourself in the example of Jesus. He is our hero. He is the one we are committed to living and modeling our lives after. Number two is we have the power to improve. None of us can say, I'm just selfish. I just have a hot head. I just am never going to do this thing that God's word says to do. I just can't. It's not in me. That is heresy. That is a lie of the devil. Yes, we have not only the word of God to instruct us, we have the Holy Spirit that lived within Jesus that allowed him to fully align with God's word every day of his life. That spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives within you and me because we put our faith in him. We've been born again and God by his power at work within us is able to help us become far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or imagine. Don't buy into the lie that you can't close the gap between knowing and doing. As Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Let us pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are our teacher. You are our guide. And as we peer into your word, and we see where we need to remove our imperfections through confession, repentance, and trying again. We see, Lord, that you are here with us. And we thank you for that. You instruct us, you guide us until we die. Lord, the world needs us to be different than them. Because they are hurting. They are in pain. And we are called to love them. We can't do that if we are like them. We must be like you. Help us to become those people. And now, Lord, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us declare what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.